Well, hello. How are you doing today? I hope everything is going well. On this second Sunday, February the 14th, it's amazing to see the count go down with coronavirus. We hope it keeps going down. I want to encourage you to keep wearing your mask, washing your hands, keeping your social distances, and keeping yourself in small groups. Uh, God is working through all of this. We don't understand everything that he does, but we know this. He's going to be glorified through it. And we just thank him for another day and for what he's doing in our midst. And I pray that you would discover his love during this time. How much God loves us and how he's able to keep us. Because he's the one who gives us life. And and as Job says, he is the giver of life. He's the one who taketh, and he is the one that giveth. And we just thank him for being who he is. And uh, he's given us so much. And that's one of the reasons we want to continue on with this area of the vine and the branches. Um, last Sunday, we started into it. In uh, St. John in chapter 15, where Jesus says, I am the branch. And we went from 1 down to verse 8. And today we're going to go from verse 9 over to verse 17, finishing up the area of the vine. Because he is the vine. He is that necessary connection that we need. And I cannot put enough emphasis on the word necessary. It is necessary that we stay connected to the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the all-sufficient God that we have need of. He's the all-sufficient Savior that we have need of. So it's vital that if you're going to live this Christian life and live it abundantly, live it in a manner that really glorifies his name, you have to stay connected. So let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you that you've made it possible that we can live a life connected with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It doesn't have to be one out of fellowship. It doesn't have to be a life that we allow sin to separate us from from that, Lord, which you so desire to do in us and through us for your namesake and for your glory and for our embitterment. And, Lord, we just want to thank you that, Lord, you made it possible that we can stay connected with the Lord Jesus Christ, if that's our desire. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would give us such a deep, desire within to stay connected with the one who truly loves us. And Lord, we're so thankful that Lord, your love never leaves us. We're never forsaken by you. But Lord, we are removed from you when we no longer want to walk with you or follow you. So I pray, Father, that you would help us to be strengthened in our faith that we would long, O oh God, to walk in your footsteps. 
that we would desire to be close to you, that we would be like John, that we could lean our head upon your breast and rest there. But Lord, we also thank you that, Lord, you have equipped us, that, Lord, that we might do a work that brings forth fruit for your glory. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being a co-labor with you and watching you work in our lives. I pray for those, Lord, who say that they are Christians, Lord, but live a contrary life one that is not fulfilling and one that is not following after your words or keeping your commands. Would you bring them into the place where they find joy in the relationship with Jesus Christ and that they may desire to stay connected and reconnect and stay there? So, Lord, uh, you do a work. Minister to us as we look into your word and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we're picking up in uh, John chapter 15, and we're going to start in that verse 9. And Jesus begins to explain to us, and he uses the illustration of the love of the Father and the love he has for the Father, that we might understand how we are to love him and be able to catch the picture that he loves us. He loves us tremendously. If you understand the beating that he took, the suffering he went through, the bearing of the cross, and going to Calvary for us, and hanging upon that cross, the suffering he went through for us, that we might have eternal life through him. If you can really understand what John 3.16 tells us, and, and, and I do want to read this right off the bat because it, it's, it's a love story. And he simply says, for God so loved. God didn't just love what he created as far as the trees, the grass, the mountain, the stars, the moon, the sun. No. What God loved was you and I. He loved humanity that he breathed life into. He loved that which he made in his own image. And it says, for God so loved the world, and that's all of us in this world, that he gave his one and only son. And to understand the submission that the Son placed himself under the authority of the Father to carry out the will of the Father to purchase salvation for every one of us. That's what has to be understood in the thing of understanding what type of love we are being loved with. A love that is giving, a love that has given far beyond what we could ever imagine or understand. That God loved us so that he would give 
his only son. I doubt very much in this time which we're living that anybody would give up their child for someone else. I can say this all in all honesty. I wouldn't I wouldn't put one of my kids out there for any of y'all. And you need to understand that that most likely you wouldn't do you wouldn't allow one of your children to die for me. Now that's not saying people have not died trying to rescue other people. And they gave their life either rescuing other people or doing so. And that's a moment's reaction. That's an emotion that takes place and somehow people jump into it to save someone else's life. Even though they know they're putting their own life in danger. But the assumption is I'm going to be able to rescue this person and we're both going to be able to live. Not knowing yet they may lose their own life in their effort. But God knew exactly what he was doing. And that's why I said he gave his son. It was an act of his will that his son would die for our sins. And that we might have eternal life because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. When we understand that, it brings about such a love for us, for him. People who fully don't understand that, don't even give second thought to it, don't seek to understand it. All they want is salvation from Jesus and go on with life. It's not so much about the love relationship and staying connected. But when you really understand and appreciate what God has done for you on your behalf and the benefits that come along with that, you can't help but love him for that which he has done for you and for me. That's what really brings about the love relationship. And that's part of what even understanding really being in love is understanding what a mate, what a wife and husband do for each other and the sacrifices they make. They make it out of love for one another. And so in that verse 9 in Matthew 15, he tells us, as the Father has loved me, speaking of Jesus, as the Father has loved me, his Son, his only Son, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. He used the love relationship that the Father has for him to say, in a sense, this is how I love you. This is how I love you. I love you just like the Father loves me. I love you. And he goes on and he says, If you, I love you, now remain in my love. 
If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Remain in my love. He understands that we're not puppets. So the request is that we remain in his love. And he's making that request that we might freely demonstrate our love for him by remaining in his love. He says, now remain in my love. There's the connection again with the vine. But what holds you to the vine is love. What keeps you connected is love. What keeps a family connected is love. What keeps a husband and wife connected is love. What keeps children connected to their parents is love. What keeps grandchildren connected to their parents and to their grandparents is love. What keeps us connected to one another is love. And that's why Jesus says that we should love one another. We should love one another. Why? It's going to keep us connected. It's going to keep us interested in each other. It's going to cause us to be concerned about one another. Because we love one another. It's the love that holds us to each other. I never have to worry about God not loving me. He loves me. I pray, Lord, give me a greater love for you. Give me a greater love for you. I don't want to love God with just a human emotional love. And I can't really explain that because I'm human. I'm emotional. And I love but I want to love him with the same love he loves me with, with an agape love. With a love that is unexplainable. A love that will step out in faith, believing him against all odds and all difficulties. A love that is willing to make sacrifices that he might be glorified. A love that is willing to stay connected to the vine. And he says, remain in my love. And he says, now here's the little test for you. That if you really love me, here, here comes the little test in verse 10. If you obey my commandments, if you obey... You, each and every one of us know if we're obeying the word of God. Each one of us know if we're living. And really, and I'm going to use this human term, trying with all of our hearts to live for the Lord. Understand, yes, we're going to slip. Understand, we're going to fall. But God's already covered that too. And I'm so thankful for his forgiveness. Because I have fallen many, many, many times. I've slipped many, many, many times. 
have had to ask for forgiveness. But I also have learned through that how great his love really is. And what I've learned also in that is his restoring love. That he's very gentle with me because he already knows I'm hurting. I'm hurting because I understand how I hurt him. How I failed him. And he's very gentle in his restoration in helping me to get up and walk anew with him. And he says, now you can tell how deeply you love me by how you keep my commands. And I'm asking you to remain in my love. And now something else goes along with that before we look at a couple of verses. He says, I have told you this so that my joy, my joy may be in you. He wants us to experience something more than joy from an earthly plane. But a joy that is really from a spiritual plane that is much higher than an earthly plane. Have you ever found yourself crying thinking about spiritual things? Have you ever found yourself crying emotionally about what you understand that Jesus has done for you? Have you ever found yourself crying and rejoicing at the same time because somehow you have sensed God has spoken to you and God has touched you? God in some magnificent way has moved you and you're sensing the very presence of a divine God. I don't care if it's in your basement, if it's in your bedroom, if it's in your bathroom, if it's in your living room, if it's in your car. That there's such a joy knowing God would speak to little old me, insignificant me, unworthy me. God would speak and God would comfort and God would forgive and God would wash me with his own hands and cleanse me from my filth. Boy, an amazing love. An amazing love. I'll never forget one time dealing with an elderly couple whose son was on drugs. And he knew his mom and dad was leaving on a trip. So he had arranged with some of his friends to break into their home in order to pawn or sell or get monies for their habit. What he didn't know after waving mom and dad goodbye in the driveway and so forth, that after about an hour later, mom and dad returned home for something. And in the midst of that, they found these people in their house going through everything 
going through their belongings and so forth. And they tied mom and dad up. Um, hit dad a couple of times. And long story short, everybody wound up in court. And they come to find out that it was their son who set him up. And he's there in court also. And mom is crying for her son. Mom is hurting for her son. And mom had already forgiven her son. Even to the point that she wanted the judge just to let her son go. No charges. And I remember just leaning over and just saying, he needs to weep what he sowed. He needs to know that there's punishment for his actions. And that can be hard. But what she was demonstrating was a love for a son in spite of what he has done. And that's what God does for us. He extends his love to us in spite of what we have done. And he simply says, obey my commands. Now listen to this. Just as I have obeyed my father's command. There's the example. He gives us the example of himself. Placing himself under the obedience of the father. And keeping his father's commands or keeping what his father had planned in order to purchase salvation for each and every one of us. That Christ himself was obedient unto death that we might have salvation. He says, just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remained in his love. Where did he remain? In his father's love. Why? Because of his obedience in keeping his commands and doing that which pleases the Father. Now, somebody's going to ask that at some point that this just has to stop. God never stopped loving us. He continues to love us. We're the ones who stop loving him. We're the ones who separate from him. We're the ones who find ourselves desiring to sin more than the Savior. We're the ones that take this thing for granted and don't really appreciate the love that God has for us. And one thing about change in a person's life, that transformation, is when you begin to fully understand what God has done for you. And he didn't have to do it. Nobody held a gun to his head and saying, you have to do this. You must do this. It was God's choice to love us. Just like he's given us that choice to love him. Love has to be based on a free will, on a willingness 
to love the other person in spite of themselves. You have to be willing to love. And Christ demonstrates that for us by keeping the commandments of his Father and doing that which pleases his Father. Now, some of us are going to have trouble with the area of of our sin and so forth. And you have to remember, God knows we are a sinful people. God knows that. And he's ready to deal with that because he understands, oh boy, how sinful we are. And it's not easy to break away from sin, from from those things that really sometimes gives us pleasure. But as we grow deeper in love with him, the further we put our sin. It's just like in a marriage. The deeper you become involved with your wife and your family, everything else then becomes further down the road. When I first got married, I usually liked to go shoot some hoop with the boys. Um, there's things I just used to like to do with what you call them old running buddies. But as you settle into marriage and, and, and so forth and understand the benefits of marriage and, and the one that really love you, it's not that I didn't say hi to them guys and wave at them guys. Just didn't spend as much time with them guys because there was something better at home to spend time with. That's a learning curve. That's a growing curve. That's an appreciation curve. Where that, what's at home is more valuable than them friends I grew up with and used to play ball with, used to kick it with. That which is at home takes on a much greater value than that which is out there. So in Proverbs 24 and verse 16, look what the Lord says, because he understands us. He says, for though a righteous man falls, because see, we're going to fall. We're going to sin. We're going to miss the mark. Though the righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. He doesn't stay there in that sin. And he doesn't keep going back to that sin. Now, I'm not saying he's not back at it once or twice, but it gets a further distance from him. It takes longer to get there. And eventually, not even going there no more. And he says, For though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. That's God's grace that I can get up and keep walking with him. Ask for forgiveness. Ask for cleansing. That's love. That's love. But the wicked are brought down by calamity. Why? There's nobody to help them. I have a Savior to help me. I have the Holy Spirit within me to help me. I have his word to help me. God has provided help for this weak vessel 
I just have to desire to help and really want to help because God loves me enough to help me. And he says, yeah, you're going to fall, but you're going to get back up. You're going to get back up. Go over to 1 John with me. And 1 John chapter 1 uh, and verse 8. And once you see verse 8 and 9, he says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. Now understand, a Christian can deceive themselves by simply saying, I'm not going to sin. You deceive yourself. Satan got you right there. Satan will set the stage even if you don't sin no more than just in thought. We want to counter sin with the word of God. And Timothy says it very easily. Time to run. When sin prompts up in your thought, run from it. Get away from it. Change that thought. Think of something good. Uh, think of the word of God. Think of something that will get your mind off that thought of sin. Because if you allow sin to linger in the mind, it's going to take root and you're going to find yourself acting on it. And you have to bring every thought into captivity under the control of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he simply says here, if we claim to be without sin, in First John chapter 1 and verse 8, we deceive ourselves. Most of us deceive ourselves thinking we can make life better than the life that God has planned for us. We're in deception when we think, if I sleep with somebody, they'll love me. We're in deception if we think I can buy somebody's love by giving them candy, flowers, taking them here and taking them there. We deceive ourselves in so many ways, thinking we have a sure thing, and it's not. There are young men and young girls that get together, but there's really no real connection. There's not no real love there for one another. Now, one of you may be in love. Both of you are not in love. And it takes both of you to connect with love in order for it to truly exist as a relationship that's going to grow. And see, with God loving me and Jesus loving me and the Holy Spirit loving me and me loving them allows us to really connect. And we're not going to let go. We won't let go. I just experienced a little something and I want you to try it. As long as you put your hands like this and, and just let them run freely. Now I want you to just tighten them up. Now try to pull them apart. Try. They are interconnected. They're locked in there. And even though the pressures on the outside is pulling on you, you stay right there. You're not going nowhere. It's amazing what real love is able to do. 
it can lock you together. And it's just not a one-way street. It's a two-way street. We both have to love one another. And he simply says again, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. What's not in us? God's truth is not there. What's the truth? God's commands. God's standards. God's principles. Those are all true. And he says, that's not there. So you're not going to really be locked together. And Jesus says, if you keep my commands, you'll prove that you really love me. Not so much that you're proving it to him, because he already knows. He knows everything. <laughs> the one that has to know it is you. That you know you love him. And see, that's in a relationship between a husband and wife. Both of you have to know you love the other person. And not you're only going to hurt the other person. One of you can love, but it takes both of you. Don't never fool yourself that one person has enough love for two. You don't. It takes both of you loving one another 100%. And he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. He'll do what? He'll forgive us of our sins. That's him demonstrating his love to us in the forgiveness. Our demonstrating of loving him is coming back under his commands and performing and doing what he's asking us to do. It's not that, boy, okay, I'm going to forgive you and you should keep on doing what you're doing. No. It's the recognition that I love you enough to forgive you. But do you love me enough to come back under my commands and do what I expect of you? See, I love my children. And I always taught them this one thing. Same thing my dad kind of taught us. The door swings both ways, in and out. You can come in or you can go out, but be assured of one thing. The principles and the standards of this home never changes. So when my son was dating his girlfriend, and uh, she was coming up here for my other daughter's wedding, I assured him, and I think he already knew it. He respected us enough. But still, I like to uh, remind my kids every now and then, uh, you two will be sleeping in two different rooms. Now, I can't tell what you've been doing over in Washington and Maryland, but I trust that you've been the appropriate young man that we raised you to be, and she was the appropriate young lady that her parents raised her to be. And um, her dad... Boy, he loved the Lord. Her mom loves the Lord. And I believe she loves the Lord. And I believe my son loved the Lord. So they were doing what was right. But I still wanted to let him know up front. Two different rooms, buddy. 
when you come into this house, in a sense, the Lord's house, the rules haven't changed, even though you're grown. Even though you're grown. The rules of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the principles of his word, still exist in this home. And sometimes our children need to know that. Our children need to know where we stand on the things of the Lord. And they don't change just because you become grown. That just means we can't be in fellowship or really be connected because you want to live one way and I'm living another way. It kind of puts a little distance between us. Even though we're the parents, you're the child. And you know what is expected, but you choose not to do it. But when you choose to do it and to honor the Lord, not so much the parents, to honor the Lord, the parents are pleased. The parents are pleased and their hearts are not troubled because they see that you're walking in such a way in keeping the commandments of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, boy, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Now catch the rest of this and purify us from all unrighteousness. Purify us from all unrighteousness. Just like parents that can be so quickly to forgive and forget the past. Let's get on with life right now where we are. And let's follow the Lord Jesus Christ together. That's what God is saying in a sense. Let's forget our past. We're going to clean all this mess up and let's walk together. Let's walk together. He purifies us from all unrighteousness that he might walk with us and lavish us with his love. Never stop loving us. We're the ones who moved so we don't have the effects of his love because the way that we choose to live. My children always know I love them because I tell them that. But they also know I will not tolerate certain type of behavior in my presence. And even if I know about it outside my presence. And I want to be able to sense that closeness, not distance, but closeness. Now, he goes a little bit further here in First John chapter 2. Go to uh, verse 3 through 6 with me in chapter 2. Because it's important, because it's still about this love. And he says, we know that we have come to know him. When you're really in love with somebody, you really do get to know them. Um, it's a growing effect. 
you get to know because you love them. Elaine knows me and I know her. And uh, we know certain boundaries with each other. And, and we know certain things that are not going to happen. Okay? I know it will be the Lord who tells her to get on my motorcycle. I like to ride. She don't. And sometimes I just try to get it just right around the block with me. Nope. 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 She's not getting on that motorcycle. And yet, I know she's not. I still try to ask her and encourage her. Because sometimes I think it would just be a delight to have her ride with me. But answer that is no. But I love her enough to accept the no. And don't get upset or mad about it. She loves me enough to allow me to do what I enjoy doing. Because she knows I enjoy it. To ride my bike. And... Uh, the whole process is that we know each other. And he says here, we know that we have come to know him. When you fall in love with a person, you know it. But you know something about that person. And you're interested in keep discovering that person. That's what love is about. Constantly discovering something new about that person that you love. And you want to know them. You want to know their innermost thoughts. You want to know their dreams. You want to know them. And he says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. There's the test again. That if you keep his commands, you know that you love him. And you also know that you are loved by him. You know that. And he says, but does not. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, he's a liar. Now, I don't know the heart of other people. And I'm pretty sure you don't either. And. And therefore, all we can do is look at the outer part of a person. And God looks at the inner. He knows the heart of every man. But whether if I'm going to really be close to that person or hang around that person is by what I see them do, how they're living. There's no use me tagging up with a man who cheats on his wife constantly because if I run with him eventually I might do that with Elaine because it's not all that bad it's okay I'm angry with her no we can't have close fellowship we can say hi and we can talk and we can talk about sports but there's so much we cannot do because of your type of behavior that behavior that is so far different than what I am commanded to live. I'm commanded to live differently. And because of that, I keep a distance from sin. You want to keep a distance and you want to practice that. Keeping a distance from sin. Because sin has a way of slowly reeling you in 
unless you learn to run from it or set boundaries for yourself and keeping the commandments of Christ. And he says, The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth, what's not there? The truth. His word is not there. His word's not there to convict. His word is not there to say run. His word is not there to say danger, danger, danger. His word is not there. It's missing. And that's what hurts. It's missing. The truth is. So there's only one person in love. God's in love with you. The question is, are you truly in love with God? And he says, you can know it by this simple little test. Do you keep my commands? Do you keep my commands? And I'm quite sure I don't keep all God's commands. And when I find myself slipping or falling, I ask for his forgiveness. And I get back up and I walk away from that sin. Don't worry. There's another one right around the corner trying to trip me again. And if I'm blindsided or I'm not aware of it or if I'm not on my guard, if I don't have my armor on, if I don't have my shield of faith up, it may happen again and I and I'm falling again because of sin. And I'm out of fellowship, but that doesn't mean I can't get back into fellowship. I can if I confess my sins and allow the work of God to work in my life. See, Christians aren't perfect, but we're learners. We're constantly learning how to walk with God. We're constantly learning how to love God. We're we're constantly learning God's plan for our life. And we're constantly learning how to submit to that plan and allow God to direct us. And he says, that person is a liar. Those who do not keep his command is a liar and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete. God's love is made complete. Let me just rephrase this if I may say so. God loves me. And that will never stop. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing can separate you from God loving you. But your sin will separate the fellowship and the closeness that you have. The sin will rob you from the benefits and the blessings that God desires to shower upon you because he loves you. And he simply says this, but anyone obeys his word, God love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Catch that. 
This is how we know we are in him. His love completes because we're responding to his love and we're doing this. We're connecting. We're complete. We're at in his love. We're complete being connected with him. We're complete in his presence. We're complete. And there's such a joy and a peace in being in the presence of God and in the will of God. And too many do not understand that. That there is a peace that surpasses all understanding when you're in the will of God. You won't even understand it. I don't understand it. But there's such a joy that takes place because I know I'm loved by him. He's blessing me and I'm in the center of his will. Boy, you can't beat it. And he goes on, he says, this is how we know we are in him. This is how we know. See, I know Elaine loves me by the way I love her. I know my children love me by the way I love them. Love has this circle thing. You give it, it's going to come back. You give it, it's going to come back. You give it, it's going to come back. I don't understand that, per se. When people understand what you sacrifice and what you do for them, the only way they can really respond to you is with love. And that love then, which you put out there, comes back to you. Now, the person who don't appreciate it has no thankfulness, have given no thought to what you have sacrificed or what you have done. That love will not be complete. It's not coming back. The love that you may shower upon someone has no effect in their life and they don't respond to it. When you understand what God has done for you and the blessings that God has in store for you, you can't help but love him. And let me make this clear too why it's on my mind. You come to a place that you love him for who he is, not for what you can get. You love him for who he is, not for what you can get from him. And that even takes you to another level. That you're loving God not because of the blessings. You're loving God not because of the doors he opened. You're loving God not because of... I've seen people in the gas station call themselves doing the holy there because they hit the number. And it's thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, they got something. I'm not so sure that was God's will, but they got something. And they're thanking God, assuming that God is the one who has given it to them. 
but they're missing something so important. Loving God for who He is, not for what He has given. And you have to get to know God for yourself to be able to love Him for who He is and not because of benefits. Well, this time has beaten me up so quick and I wanted to get all the way through this fine part and I got stuck here on this love. But I hope that it's been good because as we kind of like finish up here, he says, this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Are you walking like Jesus? Are you being obedient like Jesus was to the Father? And he simply says, boy, I have obeyed my Father's commands and remained in his love. He says, if we obey him, we remain in his love. Not out of his love, not out of fellowship with him, but we remain in him and his love. And I can know that by that I'm keeping his word. I'm living out his word. And his Holy Spirit is empowering me to do so. And I'm getting to know more about him. And I'm falling in a deeper love with him. Not just a surface love. Not just a uh, when I need you type love. Uh, not just when, boy, the chips are all down, then I call upon your name type love. No. I'm learning to love you. Whether you do or don't do, I love you. I love you. And children have to learn that even with parents. They love parents, not based on what parents do or not do. They just love the parent. They just love mom and dad. Not based on any benefit that they will get from mom and dad. They love them. And that's the way it is with God. You come to that place that you're loving God. You're loving the Lord Jesus Christ. You're loving the Holy Spirit. Not based so much on what they're doing in you or through you. But because you have come to know them for yourself. And their love for you, you know is real. And you're only responding to that love in order to complete it and to be together. You're hanging on that vine because of love. You're clinging to the vine because of love. And God is holding you because of love. And he says... I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My commandment is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his brothers. In John 15, he says that. 
In those verses, he brings us to the realization in that verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. He's letting us know what he did. Do you appreciate that God allowed his son to die for you? Do you understand what Christ went through to purchase salvation for you? And I know sometimes that's hard for us to grasp. Why would God come down here to earth to die for me? That doesn't make sense to us. But that's God's plan. And I'm glad he formulated a plan that also let me in on his plan and what he was doing in order to save me and what I needed to do in order to be saved by him. He says he laid down his life for me. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. You are my friends if you do what I command. He, he takes us to another level. We're not slaves. We're not servants. We're his friends. And he says, no longer, I no longer call you servants. But I elevate you to friends. Now we need to understand that, yes, Jesus says that, but I'm his servant. And I like it that, yes, I can be called a friend and he can look upon me as a friend. But I also like the word servant because I understand it. And he's worthy to be served. He's worthy of me bowing my knees to him and serving him. And he uses this illustration of a master and a servant. That as long as the person stays the servant, he doesn't know the will of the master. But when the master elevates him to the point of a friend, he knows more about the master and how the master is thinking and the will of the master, the goals of the master and what the master is really out to achieve. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. I'm elevated to a point. You're elevated to a point that you can know the business of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That you can know the business of God. And as Jesus said, I'm about my Father's business. As Christians, we ought to be about our Savior's business. And that is being a witness for him and telling all that we know about his love and about his saving grace. He says, boy, you get to know your master's business. 
And he tells us that over in Romans also. That if I let go of this world and the things of this world, that I would know the Father's will. And and that's something that all of us should be excited about. And that is just simply knowing the Master's will. And he says over in 12, he simply says this here in Romans chapter 12. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. No, don't live like this world. Don't pick up the habits of this world and think they're going to work in a spiritual life. They won't. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed, be renewed, be different by the renewing of your mind. What is it going to take? The renewing of your mind. How are you going to renew your mind? By studying this word. Being in this word, being around people who love the Lord Jesus Christ, who are thinking different than what you are presently thinking. And you're learning from them and you are transforming and you're renewing your mind. Your thought life begins to change. How you think begin to change. Your attitudes begin to change. And then he goes on, he says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is why you know God your mind's been changed your thinking's been changed your attitude's been changed your thought life is changing and he says you will know the will of the father you'll know our will you'll know it and that's what he says back here in John that it's the friend who knows his master's business, not the slave, but the friend. Last part here, I want to hit very quickly. He says, I have called you friend for everything that I've learned from my father I have made known to you. Everything I've learned of my Father, I have made known to you. What my Father, in a sense, have taught me, I've taught you. I've given to you. Now, let's get into verse 16 just for a moment. You did not choose me, but I've chosen you. You have not chosen me. But I've chosen you. That's so important to grasp. It is to select. God has selected me. I like to use this marriage because oftentimes, again, the, the marriage is used to illustrate the relationship <clears throat> between Christ and his church. I think that relationship can also be demonstrated in the relationship. I asked my wife five times to marry me. Shouldn't have took that many times. She should have saw a good thing right off. But it took five times me asking her. And she finally said yes. I chose her. But she also chose me. Because she had the free will to say no. Now, 
I believe to a certain extent the election. God elected me to be his son to be saved. But I believe because he's given me free will that he gave me also the freedom and the right to choose him. To be his bride. He's my groom. I'm his bride. And we both are saying yes to this relationship. We're both saying yes to it out of love. We love each other. And we're building on this relationship. We're building this marriage together. The Lord Jesus Christ and I. Along with the Holy Spirit and the Father. We're building this relationship. And he says, I have chosen you. And he said, I've also appointed you. <coughs> I've appointed you to go. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. The fruit are the different deeds, the different works, the different ideals that you're going to have that comes through the mind of Christ. And they're going to bear other fruit. It's the fruit even in yourself that you realize what has to be pruned. You realize what has to be cut off in order for you to stay connected and close to him. There are things that have to be pruned and cut away from you. Uh, things you have to leave. Things you have to say, I'm not doing this no more. Because you desire the closeness with him. And that's so important. That we understand that we're not robots. But we freely love him. And that's a choice. And that's powerful. When you can say, you love the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you've really, really chosen to love him. Because you understand what he went through to purchase your salvation. And he sends us out as the going, as his witnesses, to share the goodness of his love. That he loved us enough to send his son with a plan. To redeem us unto himself. I appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. What God does lasts. When God is really working in your life. When God really separates you from something. Oh it may be like an onion. You got to peel a little bit here. Peel a little bit here. Peel a little bit there. And you keep peeling. That apple you're peeling the skin off. You're peeling the skin off. It keeps taking it away from it. That orange you're, you're peeling it. You're peeling it. You're peeling it. But finally you get to the last peel. And there's the meat. There's the real thing that you're after. That's God. He's peeling us to get to the fruit that he really wants. And he says, you will bear fruit 
and that will last. Once you taste certain fruit, you want to taste it again and again and again and again. Sometimes we put this fruit just in the area of winning souls for Christ. We don't want to leave that out. That's vital. That's important. But that's not all what the fruit is. The fruit is your work, your ministry. The fruit is the changes that take place in your life. The fruit is you yourself sharing the gospel with others and allowing the Holy Spirit to bring it to fruition, to fullness of life in Christ. And he simply says, and we talked about this last Sunday, then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. When you're going out to do your work, to bear fruit, to do your deeds, to do whatever, to witness, God will provide you with whatever you have need of, and all you have to do is ask. He opens the doors. He closes doors. He gives you the tools and the equipment that is necessary for you to bring forth the fruit that's going to last because he's involved in it also. It's a lasting fruit that God has ordained. Not what you have made, but what God has ordained. Amen. Well, I want to thank you for hanging in there with me. I hope that something that was said was a benefit to your life. Something that was said that caused you to gurgitate it and go over again and again and again. To look at it again and ask yourself this question. How does it fit in my life in such a manner that it helps me to connect? It helps me to connect to the vine and don't let go. How does it help you? And I'm praying that the message will be such. It will help you. Because if it doesn't help somebody, it's just been a waste of time. But I'm praying that the word of God will go forth and accomplish that which God wants. And it will. So I just praise God that he allows me to share with you, and I hope that what is shared, that somehow, again, you'll think it through, you'll go back over it, you look at it anew, and you stay with it until you say, I understand it, I understand it, I understand it. Father, thank you for this time. Would you just bless us with ears to hear, and with a heart to receive and a mind willing to do and be obedient unto you. Bless us, I pray, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. God keep you. Walk in the Lord. Bye.